Hello, welcome back. This is who knows what episode of the podcast, but it is season two, I know that much. Um, So today we're going to talk about something a little bit different than the usual topics like um so usually we talk about like neuroscience or psychology but this time we are going to talk about evolution and there will be some overlaps because um i think this kind of pattern that we're going to talk about can apply not only to um not only to evolution and biology, but I think it's something that's more general, something about evolvable systems. So I think it applies to the mind and to uh, society and probably other things that I don't even know about. So yeah, that is what we're going to talk about. Um, So to begin, we are going to start with, I suppose we should start with the evolution of death. Hi, and welcome. This is Quirky Science, where we discuss crazy ideas. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. This idea came to me while I was watching this video by Science Magazine that was talking about how uh, fires can actually be an integral part of certain ecosystems. So this is kind of interesting because we usually think of fires as something that just destroys something. You would think that it would be bad for ecosystems, but in certain ecosystems, it seems to be a key part of the way that they operate. And so this got me thinking, is it possible that that death evolves? Did we evolve to die? And... Uh, before we get into this, I'm going to touch a little bit about uh, a little bit on uh, these other projects that I've been focusing on recently. So they kind of tie in in a pretty important way. One of the recent fascinations I've had was with the concept of adaptive radiation. So adaptive radiation is a concept in evolution that uh, it basically uh, it, it's something that arises often, most often during events like mass extinctions. And so what it means, what an adaptive radiation is, is when uh, you take one species and it speciates into all different kinds of species that fill niches. And so the reason that they're associated with mass extinctions is that's when all of the niches are suddenly no longer occupied because many of the species have gone extinct. So the most uh, glaring example of this would be uh, when the dinosaurs went extinct and then we observe the radiation of the mammals. So after the dinosaurs go extinct, there's all of a sudden all these niches that aren't being occupied. And so the mammals come out to become the basically like the larger predators and larger land animals that are no longer present. So this idea of adaptive radiation kind of led me into uh, thinking of this idea in terms of memetics. So memetics is just essentially culture. Uh, It's instead of genetics, it's memetics, right? 
and uh, this gets kind of interesting because there are some sort of cultural extinction events that you might be able to tie back to um, kind of cultural revolutions that followed those events. So, for example, the Renaissance came about after the uh, the bubonic plague. And that's kind of interesting because we see ourselves now facing a pandemic as well. And it is so clearly destroying many elements of our culture. Um, we are seeing the rise of things like Instacart, for example. Um, there are new social distanced ways of life. We're seeing the rise of Zoom. Uh, different ways of entertaining ourselves. So, it's kind of interesting. It, it's essentially, in my opinion, what I think is going on is that we we get addicted to our lifestyles in a way. Um, so, when everything is fine, we kind of just loop. We just go to our job. We go about our lives we don't really consider change everything seems fine in the moment there's a lot of times where we think about change like when the new year comes but a lot of times we just kind of fixate on our usual habitual tendencies and so what i think happens is that when when a when our culture is massively disrupted by these kind of mimetic extinction events I think it it leaves us with no other option but to do something new. And I think that's kind of the key idea with this general concept of the adaptive radiation. So think about in terms of uh, the filled niches uh, in in biology, in ecosystems. It, it, the reason that an adaptive radiation follows mass extinction events is essentially because they're no longer being blocked. But when everything is stable and the ecosystem is just in a stasis, we don't observe such rapid evolution. And so I kind of took that concept and realized that it it ties back into this Phoenix Effect project that I was doing earlier, which is basically about the effect of psychedelics on the brain. And this is kind of interesting because it, it is a kind of potentially a way of viewing psychedelics and evolution on the same plane that perhaps psychedelics induce an evolution of the mind of cognition but that's not to say that that evolving is better we should kind of remember that because uh, evolution is not optimized to be better than the past it uh, is mostly about uh, survival in the case of biology but it's uh, I don't know if I have the right words to describe this part yet, but well, let's just move on to this Phoenix Effect idea. So, so the idea of the Phoenix Effect is that that it is kind of an extinction event of the mind. So we talk about the ego death. We talk about uh, well, basically what I've been bringing up and kind of what Robin Carhart Harris has mentioned is that it's the state of mind of the psychedelic drug is like an infant. And so so it's kind of a symbolic rebirth. And that's kind of what this idea of the phoenix means, is that, the, that everything burns down and then you're reborn. And so it might relieve and alleviate different habits of the mind and addictions and traumatic habituated responses 
it might unlock some kind of creativity or some new way of thinking about the world that is kind of what people take them for, that is what they like about them. And so I've kind of been arguing in recent posts that that it is an adaptive radiation of the mind. And I realized it gets kind of even crazier because I was the the thing that led to this new project about the evolution of death, it was that fires play an integral role in certain ecosystems. And it is so interesting that that this could be the symbol of the phoenix as well, the fires, right? It is kind of interesting how it came about like that. So so why might so so here's the thing though, when we think of fires it isn't that it isn't that fires enhance biodiversity. Well, well, okay, before we go into that, first let's say let's get into uh the idea of why a fire might enhance biodiversity. So when without a fire, you could imagine that certain certain species in the ecosystem might become overly prevalent. Say it's some plant starts just colonizing the whole ground and then it blocks the way for other plants to uh, be born into the ground. And so whatever species is best at being born into the ground like this, they might just completely take over the ecosystem and then slowly there will be no more room for other plants and then the species that rely on those plants uh, may start to struggle as well with the decline of their either like their food source or whatever role those plants play in their lives and so what fires may come to do is that they burn a bunch of it down and make room again for different species to emerge and so this, in some sense, could be kind of like an adaptive radiation on a small scale. And um, so what's interesting about fires, though, is it's not really that fires enhance biodiversity of ecosystems. It is actually death. Fires are just a means for death. And so I find that particularly interesting that that perhaps death might be a critical uh, element that is sustaining biodiversity and ecosystems. And this kind of brought me to think about the uh, the the very beginnings of life. So, in the beginning, there's actually there was actually a lot of anaerobic uh, microorganisms, bacteria, basically. But I don't know if I actually don't know if they are they are called um, uh, like anarchia or something. I forgot what the word is, but. Uh, so basically there's these organisms that do not rely on oxygen in the beginning of the life on earth and so what seems to have happened back then so so I'm one of my hypotheses on this topic is that perhaps Perhaps in the very beginning, death was not so much a huge part of what was going on in evolution and life. Perhaps evolution was not occurring that much at this time, because uh, presumably there's no predators in the beginning. Uh, predation might have been something that evolved 
And so these organisms may have just simply uh, multiplied and continued to multiply until they completely consume their ecosystem, until they ravage it of resources, until they completely poison themselves with byproducts. Um, so in this case, uh, there is something called the Great Oxygenation Event, where these anaerobic organisms are thought to have basically brought about the very first, one of the very first mass extinction events by polluting the Earth with oxygen that they that was toxic to them. And so that's good for us now because we do rely on oxygen. So that was a good thing at first. But at this point, that basically led to the first mass extinction. And I'm kind of curious if this might have been one of the first evolutionary pressures that that this is one of the first major death events at all, presumably, that maybe death was not death may have only occurred by a few different mechanisms before this point. And so, in these early phases of life, things may have been pretty monotonous and uh, simple and repetitive, and, and there wouldn't be these kind of complex ecosystems yet. So perhaps the very first cycles of life and death were very, very long, Perhaps things would just play out in an endless loop until some crazy extinction event occurs. And so so the thing that's kind of interesting is it took two billion years before multicellularity evolved. So everything before that point was unicellular organisms. That's pretty crazy, if you ask me. Um, so, so I even kind of wondered what if, what if there was a tendency for these microorganisms to just favor uh, something like immortality? Like, what if, what if things edged towards that in the beginning, and then maybe it actually proved to be more sustainable for things to die. Now, I couldn't think of any any way to explain that, though. I couldn't think of any way to make an argument for why immortality would be selected for in the beginning, or why should it be. So, so I don't have too much confidence in that point. I'll just put that there. Um, but moving on to multicellularity, something that's interesting is that one of the arguments is that it may have evolved as a defense mechanism against predation. So, so you can imagine that one of the first things that evolves is predation, and this might be the first uh, mechanism of evolved death. It's just not the death of the self, it is the death of other organisms. And this might be kind of a, a, uh, what's the word? So, so I kind of view, predation could almost be viewed as a uh, predatory animals, or uh, not animals, predatory organisms, microorganisms may, or even just all organisms, are kind of like an evolved fire mechanism. So instead of fires that come and ravage plants or something like that, uh, it might be that predation comes and this functions similarly to fire. That it is a way to enhance the biodiversity of life. And so it's kind of interesting because there are arguments that predation was one of the first things that brought about biodiversity, that is the first thing to accelerate evolution. The 
reason for this. It's, it's basically that idea of the evolutionary arms race. The prey species is forced to adapt to the predator species. They have to out-compete or uh, out-survive, and then the predator species will likewise evolve mechanisms that allow it to continue to consume the prey species. Okay, so now let's see. I'm going to kind of move on. Um, scanning over some notes real quick. So now we'll go into a couple cases of uh, evolved death. So we're going to move on from unicellular organisms and the idea of predation and get into more strange, complex forms of evolved death. So one of the popular uh, species that people think about with uh, death is the black widow spider. And what happens with the black widow spider is that most of you probably already know that they mate, the male and the female mate, and the female will often cannibalize the male. And so the idea with this is that consuming the male gives extra energy that supports the passing of the genes of the female and both basically both of their offspring although there has been some research that shows the males will often try to resist this destiny of being consumed by what they will end up doing is mating with younger females who tend not to eat them but to do so they uh they basically have to undergo what's called traumatic insemination, which means that they have to pierce through the female to impregnate them because they have not yet developed the organs uh, for sex. So it's kind of gloomy and creepy, but that is what appears to be going on with black widows. And so in this case, there is, there is a way to argue that there is a selection pressure for being cannibalized, although it may be one that mostly exists in the female. I'm not sure about this. This looks like a complex situation, but, but it may be that the, the, if the male is able to impregnate more females by not being eaten then it will have more progeny. Although I think those progeny have a lesser chance of survival. Uh, so it's a bit complex. Um, so something that is interesting about the uh, one of the stranger selection pressures for death may come in the case of aging and this this is a very controversial uh point i guess and it bas basically there are arguments that aging is something that is not uh not evolved and it's just purely non-adaptive but then there is the idea of adaptive aging and programmed death or programmed aging with uh, some of the ideas with programmed aging have came about in the late 1800s where the idea that uh, that exterminating old generations of some species the older more mature life forms, uh, them dying might uh, give way to the younger of these species. So, so you could imagine that 
in human society, the way that you can think about this is that the much of the older people may have completely taken over all of the niches in our society and this might not leave room for the younger ones or something like that and or if if you think about it in terms of like wild animals the older animals that uh exist in an ecosystem they might they might already know how and have already developed skills and living their lives in these ecosystems they already know all the little tricks and um strategies to survive and so they might be more uh adept at surviving in these ecosystems whereas the children might be outcompeted by the older organisms if they simply just didn't die and um so one of the things that seems to be a divergent path in evolution that can arise uh, maybe it's like a fork in the road is the idea of parenting so the thing is with parenting instead of competing with your uh, children or something like that you you might make sacrifices and actually help them to pass on their genes. You might give them a boost or teach them what you've learned about the ecosystem and your tips and strategies on how to survive. So, so in humans, it's been argued that that grandparenting is one of the reasons that we have evolved longevity because grandparents are helping to raise the children too in a lot of cases i'm gonna drink water real quick getting a dry mouth okay so so here we have two two pathways where you can imagine that shorter life is selected in the case of parents who will be competing with their progeny, and then the alternate path is that the parents actually contribute to the success of their children. And uh, both of those could hypothetically evolve. And um, so I've a there is a researcher I've been kind of talking with that I met recently. His name is I I think his name is Aiden Solon. I've only uh, heard his I've only seen his name written. So apologies if that is incorrect. But he kind of reached out to me when I was posting about this idea of evolved death because he his himself worked on some published research on this topic and his uh his idea is called genetic bandwagoning and this term refers to the case in which an individual can forfeit some or all of its resources such as mates territory or food to neighbor individuals that may be of superior quality and by that, I think it means uh, being more likely to pass on their genes. Or something like that. I may have that wrong as well. But um, So, Aiden kind of argues that altruism can evolve through these mechanisms. And this, this is very similar to the ideas of kin selection. Or it may even be a kind of sub... Uh, subcomponent of kin selection. So if you don't know what kin selection is, it's it's basically a type of uh, selection that has been uh, used to explain the evolution of altruism. And the idea is that so, so there's always this focus in evolution where we need to figure out how how can 
a behavior or a gene or how can I, yeah, basically how does, how do behaviors lead to the passing of a gene? So in the case of altruism, the problem is that if you are sacrificing your own fitness, how in the world would that help you pass on your genes? That doesn't really make sense. But so some have argued that uh, that instead of thinking of it that way, what if you help someone who's related to you, who's genetically related to you? That means that they might have this altruistic behavior genes and if you help them survive by sacrificing then you are actually helping those genes live on it is not that different from the idea of parenting it is just a little bit more indirect you might be helping siblings or you might even be helping people who seem to have the genes that you have uh, dis uh, even less related than siblings and um, so the idea of genetic bandwagoning is kind of similar to this and it's kind of similar to parenting and kin selection and all of that and one of the ideas that uh, also goes into this genetic bandwagoning is the idea of adaptive suicide, which is a kind of dark topic. Um, so, so I didn't mention it so much before, but socialization uh, in general seems to correlate with, uh, in different species, it seems to correlate with longevity. And the idea is that socialized animals that are pro-social and helping other members of their species they're essentially helping they're supporting each other's fitness and so the longer that they're alive the more support that they can give each other and so the where uh well okay so so the thing and this is going to fit back into adaptive suicide in a minute but that the interesting thing is in the case of social species like humans and ants there is this uh tragic tendency for um basically less social people die younger and less social ants also die younger and in both cases, it seems to be a byproduct of things like stress mechanisms. And so ants can actually survive quite a bit on their own. They seem capable of doing it, but it seems that when they're alone for a long time, they get stressed and then something happens with their digestion. Uh, I think it speeds up or something like this and they stop absorbing nutrients as much and then their aging is accelerated and then they die. And in humans, there's things like, I, th I believe, diabetes and different health problems like obesity and different things get associated with loneliness. And, and I've kind of talked about social defeat a bit in prior podcasts, so I'm sure those of you who listen or read the posts regularly, uh, you probably already kind of get a feel for that kind of idea. And so this ties a little bit into this idea of adaptive suicide. And uh, it's been argued, and this one guy in uh, 1995 argued that there could be a selection for suicidal ideation, and that it may relate to the feeling of being a burden on others. It's kind of interesting. You'd think, instead of feeling like being a burden, why don't we just tend to become something like psychopaths? Like, why don't people, like, say if someone is unable to be self-reliant, why, why didn't we just, why don't we just tend to become totally selfish and exploit the people around us, uh, shamelessly right and um, there might be another argument for why we might not do that 
but um, perhaps one of them is that there's this tendency to evolve the feeling of burden and the tendency towards adaptive suicide, which might better help the people that we are kind of parasitically reliant on. I mean, that's this is like a really dark topic, so yeah, tread carefully, those of you who are uh, concerned, I guess. Um, and let's see, uh, looking over some notes. Um, so, uh, so another, okay, so another species, so if we look at ants again, a lot of, but basically all of the worker ants are sterile. They do not help their own fitness. Uh, they do not pass on their genes, essentially, but they are a kind of, the, the kind of, we, we basically call these species eusocial, which is uh, a type of breeding pattern where they basically have thing like the species that are eusocial tend to have a queen, and the queen reproduces, but then there's a bunch of uh, workers that help the queen altruistically, despite the fact that they don't reproduce themselves. And uh, so with ants, what's kind of interesting is they will have things like soldier ants that are essentially suicidally helping the queen. They will go into battle and do things that end up killing themselves for the sake of the colony or for the sake of the queen especially. And in the case of humans, that is maybe what things like adaptive suicide might be similar to, except it's just much less extreme because we are not, at least yet, we are not so uh, eusocial. So it's important to note that it's not really clear that human suicide would benefit the fitness of other family members because that is completely a traumatic event. Um, and that could harm the fitness of other family members and make them like depressed and unable to reproduce. This is like a really weird way of talking about it, right? But being realistic, uh, that is true that people will be quite traumatized by that. And the other thing to consider as well is that to be... Um, to be critical about this, it is also the case that this topic is so upsetting that if it were ever to benefit somebody, somebody's fitness or their life or something like that, uh, that would be like completely shamed upon. No one would be able to talk about any benefits of that in our culture because that would be considered sociopathic, right? So we're not likely to hear anything, any anecdotes, right, of people who are uh, benefiting because of the suicide of people around them. That would be kind of tragic. But on the other hand, consider that there are things like death cults and uh, there's like this environmentalist extremist suicide cult, right? Where they talk about, they talk about basically, um, they believe that a lot of humans need to kill themselves in order to help the ecosystem and help save the world and even save humanity because of the idea of things like overpopulation. So it's clear that even on a rational level, despite whatever kind of evolutionary things might be going on, uh, on a rational level, people have already been thinking about things like adaptive suicide. So... So there might be something to it. Another possibility of evolved death involves the idea of inheritance. So you could imagine that in wealthy families who might, whose children might receive inheritance during the prime times of their lives, that those children might be way better off and uh, this is quite dark as well. And there's basically, I don't, I'm, I'm fairly certain there's 
a bunch of movies about things like this, like poisoning people to get their inheritance or something like that. Um, uh, it's at least a meme that people have heard of, I'm pretty sure. And so inheritance might allow you to get a head start over the competition at the very least. Uh, so a positive selection pressure for earlier death in parents or grandparents could exist in these cases. Though due, due to the tragedy yet again, uh, the impacts on mental health might be drawbacks here as well. It might harm the lives of the youth as well. So, so it's still not clear about this being the case, but uh, it's kind of interesting to think about, and it's kind of really, it's really similar to the idea of parenting and grandparenting, because, I mean, I mean, it's just kind of like this idea of genetic bandwagoning and grandparenting kind of combined, that, that it's possible that grandparents who have accumulated wealth have tended to evolve to die at a certain age because of the benefits to their own genes that are in their grandchildren and their children. And um, so that might help the genes pass. Um, and I would imagine that it's more the case that it would evolve in more distant family members, presumably like grandparents, right? Because the grandchildren might be a little bit less traumatized in that case. If if, if the children's parents died uh, for inheritance, like first the inheritance built up would be less and the trauma would be greater. So, so it's probably there's more of a selection for dying at like say age 50 and stuff like that. So we might be able to look in the population and see if things like heart disease or cancer or different things genes associated to these things around those ages might be more prevalent in populations of wealth or something like that, or lineages that have had prolonged wealth. And this kind of pattern seems to be echoed in distant unrelated animals. So if we go back to spiders, there is one species that eats their mother and this could serve multiple roles. Uh, it could serve the role of giving the children inheritance in a sense by giving them food right off the bat. And it also removes the mother from the ecosystem, preventing any kind of competition. Um, I would say in this case, inheritance is the most likely uh, thing going on there. And in the case of things like adaptive suicide, this has been observed in bumblebees that get certain kinds of contagious infections. They will often leave the colony so that they don't risk the death of the entire colony and they'll go die off somewhere else. There's another interesting case called semel parody which this this essentially refers to a breeding pattern where a species no an animal will die abruptly after breeding so the most famous case is probably the salmon where they they make this long journey upstream and lay their eggs and then they die there and so how could something like that be selected for? Why would why would it be better for them to die there rather than go back downstream and uh, mate again? So this case is kind of interesting with the salmon because when their bodies die, they decompose and they fertilize these ponds with algae. The algae consume and decompose the dead salmon, and then this so happens to be what the baby salmon feed on. So 
this is another case of something like inheritance. And so the salmon that die in the pools will potentially be more likely to pass on their genes because the pools are being uh, fertilized and allowing for the babies to have more food and more algae than otherwise. So here's where it gets kind of weird and interesting. What if, so we talked about fires kind of acting as a biodiversity uh, mechanism. And okay, so actually, yeah, let's, let's go back to the fires case a little bit. I was about to move on by comparing something to fires, but I forgot I actually skipped over some important parts here. So, so the thing with fires is that, so I was trying to think how could, so, so there is some arguments that flammability actually evolved. So, so if the plant, the plants could evolve either to be unflammable or flammable. And for some reason, many plants seem to still be flammable and why would this be the case and so this paper that i was reading about the evolution of flammability they kind of talk about three different kinds of flammability and or components of what it means to be flammable things like how fast things burn and um how likely they are to catch fire and stuff like this and so uh, we don't need to get into too much of the details there, but it's an interesting idea that flammability would evolve. And uh, so, what if, what if, what if flammability could evolve for the sake of enhancing biodiversity? So we know that that biodiversity is basically a measure of the health of an ecosystem, and what. We, so for example, we talk about today, we, we are in the ongoing Holocene extinction event, the supposed sixth mass extinction. And they often talk about the, the collapse of biodiversity, that things are slowly kind of devolving and uh, ecosystems are collapsing. And so it could be that fires ecosystems that are prone to catching fire might be able to prevent these kind of collapses by enhancing their biodiversity whereas ecosystems that don't might collapse and so you could see that a kind of evolution could take hold here where all of the genes presumably in the uh in the non-fire prone ecosystems they might be more prone to kind of collapsing like maybe uh maybe one plant becomes like a monocrop where it's just completely ravaged the ecosystem like say an invasive species basically has just dominated everything and everything is just becoming very uh simple the ecosystem might become a single plant that has consumed everything or something like that has taken away all the food sources and then eventually the soil and the air will change and the resources will be depleted because there is no balanced uh ecosystem going on it's just uh yeah you get the point and so i think that it's possible that ecosystem level selection can occur here to allow for things like flammability to evolve. And uh, this kind of sounds like what humans are doing, right? Humans have basically started to monocrop themselves across the globe. They've not only done this, but they've literally been burning down forests to monocrop uh for our own food we are literally building literal monocrops uh in place of rainforests and stuff like that and we are mon kind of so so i some of the way i'm using monocrop 
so this case is literal monocropping, right? But when I talk about humans and monocropping themselves, uh, we are obviously not a crop. It's a, it's a metaphorical use, just to clarify that. And uh, I will be using that metaphor throughout this podcast. And um, so it's possible that we're basically destroying ecosystems by forcefully turning everything into monocrops and unbalancing ecosystems and all that. And it may be in some sense that we have successfully fought off death enough for long enough that now it's starting to show its consequences, that we've prevented our own extinction so well enough that now all of the ecosystems are just becoming human ecosystems. They're becoming these weird farmlands of cows and chickens and corn and soy and whatever else. And we're kind of transforming all of the ecosystems into ours as if we are the invasive species. And um, so now to get on to the interesting thing, uh, pandemics. What if pandemics are like fires? What if they are merely another evolved death mechanism? So something that's interesting is that... um, So... You might have heard that during this ongoing pandemic, people have been arguing that it is the decrease in biodiversity and humans pushing on to nature that is a contributing factor for what is unfolding in humanity right now. Um, That the more that biodiversity decreases, we will become more prone to repeated pandemics. It's kind of interesting because species like bats seem to harbor various contagious pathogens. And I started to wonder what if, what if these, what if this has evolved? What if, what if this helps increase the biodiversity of ecosystems much like fires do? What if the ecosystems that lacked something like a bat? to burn down the mammalian species that tend to over-dominate a region, maybe things like bats end up enhancing the uh, biodiversity by giving plagues and giving uh, contagious viruses to other mammals that have become too prevalent. And this might wipe out a huge amount of them and allow for different species to take over. So this might evolve in a similar way to how I mentioned flammability evolving. It could be that that there was ecosystems that didn't have such emergency uh, mass death mechanisms, like a pandemic-inducing mechanism. And those ecosystems perhaps faded out, much like how humans are causing the fade-out of many ecosystems. Until we hit that point where suddenly a pandemic is unleashed onto society. Now, this pandemic, just to be clear, this is not super deadly, right? But If you look at the bubonic plague, that was quite devastating to humanity. Um, But the general tendency for something like bats or rats to harbor a bunch of contagious diseases, or how bats seem to be able to survive, survive and be resistant to very dangerous diseases, species like that might be an integral part of ecosystems that help to keep, uh, to prevent any kind of homogenization of the ecosystem and the collapse of the ecosystem. So 
there is some researches on how zoonotic diseases uh, are related to the drop in bio biodiversity, and a lot of that is even uh, research that's before uh, before the coronavirus, like six years ago. I found one paper at least. In a, so now we can get into kind of culture. So this gets back into the adaptive radiation. Um, uh, so, so I kind of already talked about this a little bit, but you can imagine that that like you, what we see in culture is that a lot of the older generations like each generation as they age and mature they tend to f become stubborn and uh they have more fixed beliefs they've already developed what they believe in they've already developed lifestyles they've already developed routines habits and ways of life and those can kind of infringe on the youth that they we see like all of the older tend to be the ones that rule the earth it tends to be the rich people it tends to be um those like uh you can imagine a lot of conservative culture that is um resisting like perhaps technological development or growth of culture and changes in society because they already are used to a way of life and so when something like a pandemic happens like right now we're seeing the death of a lot of ways of life and people are quite resistant right everyone is freaking out some people even want to die because they really don't want life to change and um so people are really resistant to change in a lot of ways. And this may not only be a thing for... Uh, it might not just be mimetic, but mimetic death that leads to these radiations, but literally the pandemics that are worse than this might call away the older populations this is like really dark by the way but uh think of the bubonic plague maybe that doesn't necessarily even kill just old people but it's killed a huge amount of the population and then all of a sudden after this the renaissance is born from the ashes of that death and um i think a lot of the political influence is even uh, mostly dominated by the older populations of the world. Um, so, okay, I'm going to see where we go next. Um, so I... So I kind of realized that this idea of the Phoenix effect could be something that's like quite broad. It could be kind of a general pattern in evolvable systems, including the mind, including society, including uh, biology. This pattern of everything burning down to make way for new ways of being. And that is kind of what evolution is about, isn't it? It is about this slow pattern of being born, dying, and that uh, things are selected for, right? It is that results in a slow progression of change and evolution of a system and so um that is kind of the peak for this topic mostly um i'm seeing if there's anything else worth noting in the notes here um, there's some kind of interesting things. Like, so, there was one study where they found that flies 
uh, when they when they present more dangerous situations to flies, they tended to evolve shorter lifespans and accelerated reproductive cycles. And um, that's kind of interesting because if you think about faster life cycles, uh, like if you think of, just think of the extreme opposite of that. Is immor- It's a mortality, right? If you're immortal, you are no longer part of an evolving system. You merely exist and you are in a sense have hit a wall there is no evolution now and so on the opposite end the faster that things live and die they will evolve faster right so there there's been arguments about selections for evolvability which is the idea that uh that perhaps we can select for faster evolving and I think that things like predation probably did do this in the early times. You could imagine that um, in the early times, what if things like mutations were bad, right? And so the organisms, say the unicellular organisms, what if they actually at first evolved to be resistant to them? Because the ones that weren't, maybe they died. And then the ones that were resistant to becoming mutated maybe they uh survived and then maybe there was like like in that story that we started with right the unicellular organisms may have had a bias to be something closer to immortal at first oh my voice is getting really tired you can tell um so yeah so maybe mutatability was something that could have been selected for later once predation set in because the mutatable ones might have had a chance at mutating into something that actually let them surpass their predators and then the predators would then evolve mutatability to compensate and it would just become a race towards enhanced evolvability on both sides. And maybe humans are trying to go back to this pattern of immortality, and that might not be a bad thing. Maybe that's a wonderful thing. I don't know. And I'm going to kind of end it here uh, and open it maybe to questions and discussion. Um... To kind of, so so if you go to the project for this, there's some interesting videos. There's videos about the fires enhancing biodiversity. There's also a video by Alan Watts about why we should not want to live forever. I've, that one is a quite emotional and awesome video, although I'm not sure I fully agree with what is being said in there. Um... But yeah, so uh, go check those out. Um, We're actually going to end it right here. Um, I hope all of you have been safe. This project has been quite crazy because I'm thinking about dying the whole time I'm doing it. And I don't know. It's kind of intense. Um, But yeah, so I hope you have a good day and see you soon.